On this episode of the Hartford County Living Podcast, I had the opportunity to sit down with the um, Environmental Health Department out of uh, Hartford County Health Department. I uh, sat down with Molly, Julie, Eric, and John, uh, basically discussing uh, your water, public sewer, public water, uh, well water and septic, as well as uh, rabies, rabies vaccinations, and animals that carry rabies. Uh, and as usual, whenever I sit down, so, you know, one of the departments from the health department, I always learn something new. Um, so, you know, sit back, take a listen, and hopefully you'll learn something as well. Ah, uh, fall's here. Leaves are changing colors, which also means they're falling all over the ground. And that's the part everybody hates is getting out there, just cleaning up all those leaves. Well, call Green Machine Lawns. Green Machine Lawns will go ahead and take care of the leaf removal for you. And if you still need your grass cut, they'll take care of that as well. So give them a holler. Tell them Rich from Hartford County Living sent you. Just call them right now at 443-863-YARD. That's 443-863-YARD. listening to the Harford County Living Podcast with Rich Bennett. Thank you for coming and please send any suggestions or comments to podcast at harfordcountyliving.com. The Harford County Living Podcast is produced for your enjoyment and show notes can be found at harfordcountyliving.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorites, RRS feed, or iTunes. All links are in the show notes. Now let's join Rich Bennett and his special guest. You ever watch Holmes and Holmes, Mike Holmes? One of the things, and this brought, this is why I suggested environmental health. And I don't know if it's true down here, but they said up in Canada, well water, it's basically 100% guaranteed there's radon in your well water. Mm. But I never hear anybody about that down here talking about that. Well, like radon's not actually, that's kind of complicated. Um, okay. <laughs> Radon is not one of those required tests for a well to be certified. So I have very limited data on that okay. that specific contaminant. You know, there's about I don't know, probably 120, 130 regulated contaminants in drinking water by wow. EPA. But there's radon. There could be radon in the air. Yeah, the radon region. in the air is more right. prevalent. Um I don't believe EPA has even established like an actual MCL or secondary okay. MCL for radon in drinking water. There's other like naturally occurring radionuclides like your gross alpha, gross beta, radium. You know, do you find those in parts of um, the state? You know, Hartford County, our geology with naturally occurring radionuclides is mostly like the Moncton zip code, mm-hmm. you know, in Baltimore, Nice, Cockeysville, Marble, Sutter's Formation, you know, those geologies. Um, Baltimore County is more widespread in that. Anne Arundel County has its own naturally occurring radionuclide issues. Okay. But in other areas of uh, Hartford County, you know, the naturally occurring radionuclides is like hit or miss. Like every once in a while in some geology that you don't expect, you see gross alpha particles over the MCL. And then you sample around there and there's nothing. You know, it's just isolated right. to that one property. 
Um, so, you know, I, whatever you're, whatever you're I, talking I'm, about. Because <laughs> drinking water, I'm big on that. Because I was stationed down in Camp Lejeune. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what happened down there, but they had from 1955 to 87 or something in that time frame, they found out that the water was contaminated, which is causing seven, so far they found seven different diseases, leukemia, uh, stomach cancer, and all these other things. Mm-hmm. And so basically, if you were stationed at Camp Lejeune, <laughs> civilian or military, you're at a high risk of it. Mm-hmm. So I have to get tested every year. And I would have never thought from the drinking water. Um, because, I, it, you know, I live in Harford County, and to me, I'm sorry, we've always had the best drinking water. I love water, and mm-hmm. I just think it tastes awesome. And you can tell a difference from, you know, different places. I can. Are you on public? Uh, you, public I'm on public, water? yeah. Okay. okay. So yours is right. What, where do you live? Joppa Town. So I think I'm city. Yeah, so you're probably Hartford County DPW. Where do you yeah. get your water bill from? Hartford County DPW? Mm-hmm. Hartford County. Okay. So you're what's called a community water system. You know, public water water supplies are like broken into sort of four categories, right? Right. Your community water system, which would be like Hartford County DPW, Town of Bel Air, City of Aberdeen, City of Havergrace. You know, you, you think of them as public water, but their sources could be different things. They may be pulling from drinking water wells. They may be pulling from the Susquehanna. Montebello Reservoir. A reservoir. Really? You know, Winter's Run. Like, whatever. Um, so, those community water systems, they are called that because they have at least 15 service connections serving at least 25 consumers that reside there you know, right. year-round. Like Hartford County DPW is like huge, you know, 100,000 customers. Um, but they're regulated by MDE and they monitor their water like a lot for a lot. Um, so they're the most regulated drinking water supply. Like you might see every once in a while that you get um, what's called a, uh, you know, annual operating report or yeah. something like that. That'll tell you. Um, what they're testing for over the course of their, you know, monitoring period. Okay. Um, a lot of people just throw it in the garbage, but you know, you can see what your, uh, you can see what your water supply has tested for over that period of time. So then, so they're like most regulated. Okay. Then your next most regulated would be called your non-transient non-communities. So it'd be like your schools, your daycare centers. Things where, you know, an office building, they're on a well, and their population is a fixed group of individuals. You know, um, uh, you know, a daycare center that's on a well, or a school. Like, any of the schools in Hartford County that are located off of the public water system. So, like, Darlington Elementary, Dublin Elementary, um, North Hartford's complex. Right. They're all on well water supplies. I never they're, knew that. They're all called non-transient, non-community water supplies. Now, they're regulated second most. You know, they have to comply with the lead and copper rule and bacteria nitrate testing. And there's other requirements that are put into their wells that um, uh, have to be done before they're put into service. So then you get into your your third category, which is called the transient, non-community water systems. So they are, I guess... 
most regulated community, second most non-transient non-community, third most would be your transient non-community. So this would be like places on a well that are serving people who come and go. So that would be like the McDonald's in Churchville or the Royal Farms down on 152 near 95. You know, those consumers, they come use their water supply for hand washing to make coffee, like whatever, and then they go on their way. So that's, you know, a transient non-community because the population that is serviced by that water supply, you know, is not there for any fixed period of time for any extended duration, right? So they just come and go. We actually monitor them here. So we, um, so the first two I was telling you about, you know, they're regulated by MDE. The third one, the transient non-communities, we regulate them here in environmental health. We have about 180 of them. So it would be like your churches, um, you know, your churches, your food service facilities, your parks. Right. You know, so we oversee their water quality and they are doing more than a private house but less than the other two you know okay. so they don't have to comply with the lead in copper rule they don't have the you know the annual operating report requirement you know all those kind of things that the other two water systems have to do they they're exempt from that but they have more requirements than the private house so the private house is your fourth type of water supply so when the private house is, um, you know, initially occupied, you know, they, they're building a house and they're going to be on well and septic. You know, okay. that well has to have certain testing done before we will issue what's called the, the certificate of occupancy. So once the house has that testing done, we issue that well something called a certificate of potability. So it's sort of like our approval of the certificate of occupancy and the issuance of the certificate of potability almost are like a simultaneous type of thing. Um, then the person moves into the house and at that point it's called a private water system. So it doesn't meet any of the public definitions and that um, house, you know, that homeowner could choose to monitor their water, you know, once a year, once every five years, once never. You right. Know? Um, so uh, that one, it's like we we get the testing done when the well is first put into service, and then that water system is the the you know the operation and maintenance of that water system is up to the property owner. Okay. So you know that's kind of how water supplies work here in the county. With all of that, you guys have to have a big department just for the water part. <laughs> it's like one person. <laughs> no way. Uh, we have about 30 people uh, total. Um, three of them are um, clerical, and we have, we're split in two. So we have um, half the staff works in resource protection, which would handle that water quality in, in addition to septics. Um, inspections. Um, we also do subdivision review, building permit review um, in our resource protection area, which is delegated by Maryland Department of the Environment. Okay. And then the other half is our consumer protection, um, which is broken into community hygiene, which would handle your rabies and vector control. And then we have um, 
our food uh, food group, which would do um, a handful of people do the routine food inspections for all the commercial facilities in, in our county. And then we have another section of the food department that would handle um, food plan review. And that's just under the water park. No. Well, that's, that's under every. I mean, that's... So the food and the rabies are under our consumer protection, okay. which is delegated by Maryland Department of Health. Okay. So, um, yeah. Eric's group, you know, consumer protection, Eric's group is like protecting the citizens of the county. Okay. And in my group, resource protection are protecting the resources of the county. You know, the water supplies, the wastewater disposal system. But Department of Public Works doesn't fall under you, right? That's no, its own huh? separate No, we work very business. closely with <laughs> okay. Department of Public Works for a variety of things. Especially nuisance complaints. Right. Yeah. So both DPW and Environmental Health handles nuisance complaints in the county. We piggyback off of one another. Um, sometimes we use our, our regulation or we will work together on a county code. Okay. Type of violation. Now, do you? Because one of the things I'm seeing a lot lately is people their front yards getting dug up, getting their uh, what is it? I guess the sewage the connection. Line. Yes, line. redone because I guess it's the old terra clay or whatever. Now, is that under you guys too? No. Or, okay. So that's, if they're connected into public utilities, that's through DPW. Now we will okay. handle. Um, if you're on a well and a septic system, if your septic system is failing, and it could be because of old pipes, it right. could just be that the soil, you know, it's hydraulically loaded and it's backing up into your house or onto the ground, you would come to our office to um, first apply for a perk test. We conduct the perk test, and then we would size your repair septic system off of that information. Okay, so the Resource Protection Group also gets involved uh, with community surveys, areas that are were put in on, on uh, their own individual on-site septic systems and okay. are failing for a variety of reasons. We'll go in there often in conjunction with Public Works, perform community surveys, doing an assessment, and pushing some of these developments to connect to the public. Yes. sewer system as opposed to their own on-site okay yes we're actually working on a large project right now and it's the public uh, sewer um, survey um, in an area there are 79 properties that are currently on private systems private septic systems and we are working with DPW to um, we're proposing that they connect to public utilities, public sewer. Okay. Um, we have a community meeting scheduled for, I believe, next week, yeah, where next we Thursday. will provide um, our report. So we've done a survey on all the properties on their existing system. What are what's their availability for repairs, if any? What issues they've had? Um, it will go to a community vote. And if you have at least 50%, then you can take it to the county council for a final vote. And if they vote for it, then that property would be required to connect to public sewer. But we would provide, um, we have some Bay Restoration Fund grants we usually put towards it. Okay. And also there are some other low interest loans and we would um, work with the county on how to propose that. You just answered my question there, because what would be the cost for the homeowner, but if you, the grants and everything? There are grants. Now, it is still a cost. They yeah. can, um, you could pay it um, yearly, 
it would be assessed on the okay. property and then it could be transferred if you ever sold your property um but it is a, it would be assessed at the at the county and they would uh, so if the council approves it then they do have to convert Correct. over which is i would think better for them anyways it usually will improve the value so it would improve the value of your home right um there's no concerns if it fails what are you going to do if if your property if you have a limited uh lot and you don't have a lot of room um some of those properties if your system failed they would be put on a holding tank and a okay. holding tank is something you have to pump out on a regular basis so um this the sewer petition is um a great option for some of these neighborhoods that were developed prior to um, our current evaluation process. Okay. And then the thing, to, <laughs> the thing to keep in mind about the holding tanks is if a property goes on the holding tanks, it usually depreciates their property value and it also by regulation requires us to limit what improvements could be made to that dwelling. So if you had you know, a 1,500 square foot house that was on holding tanks and you wanted to put a thousand foot addition on that, a thousand square foot addition, right. we would likely deny it because when you go onto holding tanks, it gets recorded into land records based on the square footage that is there at the, at time, the time you go into holding tanks. You know, so if you have marginal soil conditions or you have limited space on your property and you have the option to stay on septic or go to public sewer i mean even though you might have some capital investment that you have to make you know, getting onto public utilities eliminates all those on-site restrictions for these properties like i'm working on one right now on trimble road down in joppa and uh you know those lots were created in 1940 yeah you know so they they had no consideration for setback requirements for wells and septics in the modern era you know so they're tiny little lots right crummy soils and you know they all have issues and some of them are already on holding tanks and other ones have failing systems and they're trying to get connected so that you know they can resolve their problems and if one of them wants to put a little bit of an addition on their house to make their you know house better than it currently is you know we would approve it because we're not dealing with you know the constraints of the the soil underneath the property are you seeing more people in the county switching from well water and septic to i guess you city or whatever so i think that the majority of our county is on public utilities okay um but what we're seeing is um small little pockets are able to connect to public sewer partly because um if they're in the um development the, envelope right which and, in hartford county as julia will explain is an inverted t kind of runs along the route 40 95 and then, yes. and then towards bel-air towards bel-air okay so um what the county and in the health department were doing is <laughs> looking at these little pockets that have the capability of connecting into utility public utilities and are currently on a private well and septic we're working together to kind of connect to to um eliminate the private septic in those right. areas 
And one of the things that we have in our back pocket is the Bay Restoration Fund grant that can assist up to $20,000 per property. Now, per property? Per property to connect into public sewer. Now, we've done a lot of individual um, properties, but when there's a neighborhood or um, something a little bit larger, yeah. we can work with DPW to do this sewer petition. Um, and that usually starts with one of the residents kind of steps up and says, I want, I want this, I'm gonna work with my neighborhood to petition for that. Um, so we're seeing mm -hmm. that, um, but you know, majority of people are, are on public water and public sewer. Um, what we're dealing with here in environmental health, if you're on a well and septic, is primarily on the outskirts of that inverted okay. T. So outside the development envelope, um, it, nowadays you're going to see larger lots um, developed, but like we were discussing earlier, some of the older neighborhoods outside of the envelope had small little lots that mm -hmm. may not be, they might not have met all the requirements for today's standards to right. subdivide. So we're seeing a lot of repairs in those areas. And um, a lot of times it comes up when somebody is transferring property or selling the property. And a real estate, within a real estate transaction, you have to have the septic certified. And a lot of times for the loan, oh, the okay, septic. the septic would yes. have to be okay. certified, and we're finding that a lot of these properties are not passing that certification, and then they're back in our office, and we're trying to come up with a solution for a septic system. So um, that takes up a lot of our time because a lot of these systems are innovative or alternative, so they're not your conventional drain field system. A lot of them could be... Um, it could be a pressurized system, a low-pressure dosing system. It could be a sand mound, which is above the ground. Right. Um, so then you're looking at engineering costs. Um, we are not engineers, but we do work with them, consultants and engineers, and we, we do review the plans, but we don't actually develop or design them. Okay. I think it's important for you to realize, though, that just because your property is within the development envelope doesn't mean you have access to public utilities. So, okay. um, and the reason why I raise this point is I had a commercial, you know, I, I do commercial permit review in my, in my spare time. Um, <laughs> and uh, um, this commercial property was proposing an expansion and that then decide, you know, when the health department is given a permit to review, there are certain things we have to evaluate. We have to evaluate, is the existing water supply acceptable and in good condition, et cetera? And is the existing on-site sewage disposal system you know, acceptable? Well, that we have to do before we issue the permit. In this particular case, this commercial property was connected to public water because okay. the public water line ran right down Route 40. So they were connected to public water. So as far as my water supply review, that part was easy. They're on an approved community water supply. Right. That's good. However, they are presently on a septic system. So 
because they were proposing this big addition to their building, I had to then determine is there an area to repair their septic system or if their existing system is not acceptable, can they connect the public sewer? Well, the public sewer infrastructure was nowhere near the property. You know, really? the manholes were a thousand feet away or something like that. And there, there wasn't access for this property to connect. So I had um, Department of Public Works looking at that property to see if it was feasible, if in the future they needed to, could they connect? Well, at this point, the infrastructure isn't close enough for that property to connect to it. So they said, no, the property does not have access to, you know, Hartford County public sewer, doesn't have access to city of Aberdeen public sewer. Therefore, they're stuck on septic. All right, well, now it's back in my court. I have to determine, can I replace the septic system on this property before I approve this big addition? Well. It just so happens um, last week we were out doing perk tests here and there was an area established to do the repair. So now we can proceed with permitting their addition. But you know, it, it, this property is right in the development envelope, but the infrastructure is not always available to it. Or in some cases, we have a failing septic system on another area that has public sewer, in theory, available to the lot. Right, but where the house is located and where the access to the um, sewer service is, physically it may not be possible or not plausible, you know, not yeah. reasonable. So in that case, um, DPW and I were sitting down and asking the property owner to to get us estimates on how expensive would it be. For him to access the public sewer along the road that that he fronts and we're waiting for his estimates to come in because dpw may then say you know it's not reasonable for this homeowner to connect at this time right go ahead and let him repair his septic system you know so there's a lot of like um there's a lot of i guess collaboration between our office and their office about properties in the development envelope and you know people people buy a house in the Bel Air zip code 21014 and they think that they have public water and sewer but they might not so right. you always need to you know kind of do your homework I had another commercial property right here in the town of Bel Air that I would have never thought was on a septic system but the lot was an old lot created without easements and access to um, you know, the public sewer service and the properties that are between it and the public sewer won't grant them easement to get access to the public utilities. So they're stuck on septic. You know, so sometimes you have these little legal battles where you have a property here and this public sewer line is here, and in order to get from here to here, you need these guys to give you utility easements, and if they won't, you're stuck. See, and I always saw that somebody was connected to public water, they were on public sewer too. Mm -hmm. I, I never realized you that. You could have one or the other. So, I never knew that. So a lot of times, it's, it's to your benefit to do some research before you yeah. purchase, 
or you know rent space or whatever it may be you can always come to our office and request information we also accept requests um, via email and then we'll email you that information back out and we're working to get our information online in the future to make it a little Good. bit easier for for the public but at this time you can come in Monday through Friday and access any information that we have it's all public information don't what's the address <laughs> I'm looking at Molly she gave the wrong address last time Oh, we're located at 120 South Hayes Street in the Thomas Hayes building on the second floor. That's where you will find environmental health. There's actually four categories of properties. There are properties that are on well and septic, there are properties that are on public water and sewer, and then there's properties that are on a well but public sewer or public water but septic. Wow. No, would have never known that. John keeps it That's all straight. Well, exactly. well, yeah, because I mean, how many people actually do know that? You guys just had the big rabies vaccination thing. What's it? September, right? Well, actually, we run uh, the health department actually holds a total of eight clinics. We run uh, seven in the spring uh, on the last Sunday in April and the first Sunday of May. And that's in conjunction yeah, okay. with our local volunteer fire departments. And, you know, we charge eight dollars an animal. So we're very... Uh, affordable and that we, we limit our clinics to dogs cats and ferrets and the one that you're referring to was the one we just held in conjunction with uh, the Fort Paul Spawn Training Center right in the Forest Hill Air Park and that's always our last Saturday in September dogs so we, cats and ferrets and ferrets correct mm -hmm. You, are there a lot of people out there with ferrets now? Well, there's there's a, there's a good number. Uh, a lot of people will tend to take the ferrets into a private setting, a private practice because they're so small. Right. And if there would be a, an adverse reaction to the vaccine, which is ex, you know exceedingly rare, okay. they would have the facilities on site to deal with that. You know, we're we're set up at these remote locations. Obviously, we're running them with veterinarians, but they don't have access to full. I would have never known that about ferrets because I used to have a pet ferret before, but I, I would have never known that. Well, a lot of people don't realize. I mean, I mean, obviously looking around the room, I'm uh, obviously the most senior of the senior staff. But in 80, 1986, Hartford County actually led the entire nation in the number of confirmed positive animals. So rabies, because of its unique nature as a, it's a zoonotic, potentially fatal condition, that's it's one of our highest priorities here. With, with, uh, what are because I hear this a lot about well, oh watch out for this uh, you know it looks rabbit which I think a lot of people don't understand there's and correct me if I'm wrong isn't there a difference foxes for instance between being mange and or having mange and being rabbit yeah because that's a that's a whole separate Thank disease you. but you're right <laughs> but actually with rabies there's two forms of it there's a there's a dumb form and a furious form a the furious Did you say dumb dumb D U A B okay. as in an animal is, is unusually placid. An animal, you know, we've, we've had cases where people have been approached by animals like out on a trail, a raccoon. Yeah. That's a, that's abnormal. The furious form is, is an animal that just becomes extremely aggressive, kind of jumping out and attacking. Yeah, he ain't walking up to you, he's running at you. <laughs> right. I mean, we, we typically run like, in a typical year, you know, we run like 20 to 25 positive rabbit animals a year. And, we, and that's out of probably submitting close to two, three hundred animals. Most of them wow. that, that tend to be uh, implicated are the, uh, are, the, are, the, are the mammals that are carnivores. Mm -hmm. They tend to be your main vectors. 
In this area, it's the raccoon, but uh, raccoons, foxes, and bats tend to be your largest transmitters of, of the... So foxes are large for transmitting. They are. I mean, in this part of the country, we, like, so far this year, we've had, uh, I believe, eight positive animals so far out of, out of right. the animals we've submitted. And that's been, that was comprised of, we've had, like, I think, one bat, two groundhogs, two foxes, and three raccoons. And it depends really on what part of the country you're located. Yeah. Along the eastern seaboard, it's, it's the raccoon. It's the primary vector of rabies. Puerto Rico, it's the mongoose. You get out across the Appalachians, kind of in the Ohio area, you're talking skunks. You know, coyotes down along the Mexico-U.S. border. So it's kind of geographic. And then the, and then the bat strains are kind of everywhere. Yes. I'm glad you so. said that. See, because I was always told in Harford County, the, the three... That the top three that carry rabies the most, bats, raccoons, and cats. As far as domestic animals go, the cat is by far. And you see a lot of, I guess, what are they call feral cats that were just running around the neighborhood. You <laughs> yes, see a that, ton of them. Yes. Um, I guess I need to stop trying to get the foxes to come up to me, though. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, people may not want to hear it, but the, the foxes are actually, you know, they will prey upon the cats. That's, that's kind of a... In some places where the fox populations are doing very well, it tends to be around a lot of these areas where these right. people are maintaining these. Uh, well, at least you, at least I so. didn't hear you say my favorite one. So squirrels. No, no. I know a lot, and, a lot of people in the county hate squirrels, but I love them because they come up to me. We get so. that. Yeah, we get that all the time, too. I mean, amphibians, reptiles, birds cannot acquire rabies. It's strictly a disease of, of warm-blooded mammals. Okay. And like I said, so, I mean, obviously any, any warm-blooded mammal can acquire the disease, but it's mostly those carnivorous species that we talked about that are the main vectors for. So how often should somebody get their pets vaccinated? Well, it, 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 or is it one time? Well, they have to be at least three months of age. Okay. That's, that's the youngest. And then the, the first shot that, that an animal receives will be good for a year. It'll expire in a year. Okay. The vaccines that we use, it depends on the manufacturer. The vaccine that we use at our clinics after an animal has had its first shot, the following year we can give them a three-year shot. And that has to do with uh, the immune response of an animal. You give an animal a rabies shot that's never had one, it takes about a month for that animal to build up an immune response against the virus. I'm still still baffled about the ferret one. Yeah, and and that's come a long way. At At least they're treated now as a as a domestic animal, when I, in my early years here, when they were still like an exotic pet yes. and they didn't know enough about it, we had to treat that like a wild animal. We used to have to go out with the police, with animal control, with warrants to take people's ferrets because there was no suitable quarantine period that once they, you know, you know so many days elapsed yeah. before, and, and no appearance of any kind of signs or symptoms. We could rule out that they weren't infectious at the time of the bite. That's in connection with the bite. Right. So if somebody so calls in and says they were bit by a ferret, we had issues years ago. Right. Well, and that's one of the things that I found from when I had my ferret. Ferrets will bite. And I found that if you keep them caged up, they bite. But if you just put out, and this is what I did with mine, I put out a litter box, and it just ran around the place. Yeah. Never bit. Right, and as Julie just tested, uh, t- you know, touched on, we typically, you know, investigate anywhere from seven to eight hundred animal bites a year, bites and scratches, 
And normally what that requires is, I mean, by law, animal bites are reportable. So if you go to right. your, you know, an urgent care center, your doctor, they have to report that. A lot of the reports come directly into our office. Some come into, you know, local law enforcement. And the people who are actually served with an animal bite report, the owner of the animal. We go out and follow up 10 days. Right. And if the animal's still alive and healthy, we can rule out any possible transmission of the virus. Other animals, livestock, cattle, horses, they have a 14-day period that have to be satisfied before we can take them off of quarantine. And not to confuse everybody, but then there's different holding periods depending upon the vaccination status of an animal. If your dog had uh, an altercation with a raccoon and it was up to date on its rabies shot, it would be looking at giving it a booster shot, another rabies shot, and right. we would kind of observe it under quarantine for 45 days. An animal that's never had a rabies shot before, you're looking at either putting that animal down and having it tested, or it's like a very strict double cage isolation arrangement where for four months it requires us to go out on site, we take pictures, there's documentation, paperwork that has to be exchanged, you vaccinate the animal, and then you watch it very closely for four months. It can have, it can only have uh, contact with one caregiver, no other animals, no other people. And wow. if during that four months, it would start to show signs and symptoms, we would have to. And that is if, if it was in an altercation with a wild animal that we didn't have tested, that we didn't have any Correct. Either we, we knew it was positive, it was either tested. Or right, it could be positive. Or it's one of those high-risk species we talked about. Right. That it gets away. There's an altercation that gets away. We have to assume the worst then. Then it comes down to your vaccination records, whether it's going to be a 45 or a four-month. Now, you said if somebody gets bit, and you and I talked about this briefly before we started recording. I told you about how my sister with the bad saliva. Right. So is that different? I mean, how does somebody even know something like that? Yeah, bat, bats are treated completely differently. Basically, we, we instruct the public that if, they, if they're... They awaken or they, they discover a bat in their living space. Yes. <laughs> that we we really want to test the bat. Okay. Under you know, under pretty much and almost any circumstances. I mean in the in the regulations they get very detailed about is it somebody that woke up, you know, in a in a that was sleeping, are they a deep sleeper, were they inebriated, all these other <laughs> factors. But if people tell us they, they came across the bat in their living space, we're going to test it because we don't know how long it's been flying that's, around. That's if they can't even catch the bat. That's correct. But what if but, they can't catch the bat? Then what? Well, then we, we have to assume that they were potentially exposed. Okay. And we have to move then forward with, we work very closely with our infectious disease nurses. Right. Another component of the, of the health department and, an, and a risk assessment's done. And we may have a lot of people then that would be potentially eligible for the post-exposure program. So they should definitely... I mean, if they find one in their house and that bat's gone, they can't catch it. Definitely that, get to the doctor. Call, call us, let us, call, yeah, let, let, you know. let us know. Because I know there are a lot of people that have found catch bats in their house. And try to let them go. Yes. Yeah. I figured that, okay, it didn't bite me, I'm good. Exactly. Well, <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> well, right, keep in surprised. mind, if you find one, there might be more. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if one was uh, you know, able to get in. You don't know if there's others hiding. And bats are, it's very easy for bats to get in the house as you think about it because you have, you know, the eaves, even through, um, I know I found one, it, it didn't get into the house, but all of a sudden my furnace stopped working. And I called my buddy up, he came over and took it apart. There was a, a bat had gotten into the flue 
and got stuck in the propeller, so it didn't get in the house. I was lucky there. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the good news is, is like less than a, a tiny fraction of less than one percent of all bats, you know, would come back positive, right. which is a good thing, and they are highly beneficial. We just try to encourage people if they're gonna set up bat to do it kind of away from the house, maybe not over their right over their doors. Oh, the bat that, boxes, the bat yes. boxes, because they are <laughs> they are beneficial, and like I said, they knock down the mosquitoes, which are. A, yeah. Especially a big, a bigger problem. I was going to say, it was this summer, I bet everybody wanted pet bats to eat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's right. Eating, eating alive by mosquitoes or risk of the bat encounter. That's right. Now, the uh, well, mosquitoes is a different thing. That You don't handle that part, right? Well, we're, we're involved with mosquitoes. Oh, really? Today. Okay. Yeah. Right now, that's uh, uh, usually it starts anywhere from June 1st, usually, till the end of October is the prime season for for the mosquitoes. Usually by October 31st, we've had our first frost, heavy frost, which mm-hmm. knocks the mosquito population out. Who knows this year? It seems like all we have is rain and summer. And, and summer. It feels like, it feels like <laughs> yeah. living in the tropics. October 9th, and it's going to be in the 80s today. Yeah. Right. Uh, 100% humidity. <laughs> but yeah, the state actually has a very comprehensive, it's an arbovirus surveillance plan that with uh, the Maryland Department of Agriculture, that's the state agency that, that houses the mos- the mosquito control folks. Okay. The Department of Natural Resources and the, the Maryland Department of Health. We all work closely together. Everybody has like little 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 parts of the equation. I mean, our main role. I mean, we have staff here that uh, have certification through the Maryland Department of Agri- uh, Agriculture to apply long-lasting larvicides, which we've been doing extensively this year. Right. It's got an you know, uh, active period of about 180 days where it's very effective about uh, you know, knocking out mosquito larvae. It's not harmful to other organisms. It's very species-specific. And the Maryland Department of Agriculture also has uh, monitoring stations set up you know, throughout the, the state where they're constantly monitoring, testing the, the mosquitoes okay. that land in these traps, Screening them from everything from dengue, chikungunya, Zika, West Nile virus, Triple E, all those mosquito-borne viruses. So, as you probably heard on the news, there's been a lot of it's been a lot this year. Maryland's had I think like from like 33 cases, I think, just in the Baltimore oh. metropolitan area. And any anything because of medical right, confidentiality, right. you know, we can't just disclose often whether it's a human case. Or, a, or an equine case, but there's basically four triggering events that will, will result in uh, the Maryland Department of Agriculture and Mosquito Control mm-hmm. coming out to spray, and that would either be a, a positive human case of a mosquito-borne illness, a positive equine case, a positive mosquito pool, because they're monitoring these mosquito right. pools, or a number of, you know, only the, the female mosquitoes bite. I don't know if you knew that or not. No, I didn't know that. Males don't. You know, the females bite and take blood. I could say something. I know. I was say, <laughs> but I'm not. That's typical. <laughs> but but, but hey, I guess they get it from the spiders. Yeah. But, but if they capture a certain number of females over a certain period of time and it exceeds a certain threshold, that can also result in in, in a spring event where they go out and fog. Right. So fogging is a, is a way of dealing with the adult mosquitoes. The larvicide is a way that, that we deal with. The larvae, yeah, and we work kind of closely with Maryland Department of Agriculture. A lot of times, there'll be joint surveys. We'll we'll go out to a community and we'll survey properties. And if we have neighbors 
as you're saying, somebody with a stagnant pool, it's not maintaining it. We put them on notice. We can treat the pool okay. for them, but they're also put on notice. They need to address the, the problem. One of the things, because you know, somebody was sending me press releases about spraying in neighborhoods, and when I when I would put it on the website and then post it on the Facebook, I, some of the the comments I was seeing, I, I felt like I was a kid again. Oh, I remember they used to remember the mosquito trucks coming around, and as a kid, they did it all the time. I remember the mosquito trucks coming around spraying. But I think this, a lot of people are saying this is the first time in years where they're seeing that, the trucks going around spraying again for them. Cause we're gonna I'm get, just seeing more bats. Yeah. <laughs> well, the bats rate the mosquitoes, and yeah. we're on course to have, what, the wettest year on record, yeah. I think, if it keeps up. So. And I uh. remember um, when we were dealing with Zika, people were under the impression that it was the large bodies of water that would really be the breeding grounds, but it was really, really? the smaller... The smaller things like like kid toys in your yard or um, right, you know, if you had an ashtray or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like the smaller things that will collect shallow. water. Yeah, right. Yes. They don't like deep. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's Bird like the yeah. yeah, and a lot of people don't realize that. And one of the things because I I've told people before. And they don't even think about it. Yeah, they'll turn their bird bath upside down or whatever. It'll take in the ashtrays, but the flower pots. Mm-hmm. You know, with the yeah, with, with the, the little things, yeah, that catches the water. And or if you have a tarp and just l- like little divots in it, it yeah. can hold the water. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and now it brings up a good point because, it, like I said, the species that are most linked with the spread of the, uh, the potentially you know serious arbovirus is like the the Asian tiger mosquito, the, the Aedes albopictus, and Culex pipiens. They're the one. They're the mosquito species that are most linked with spreading. Those diseases. A lot of these, we've had a lot of a lot of flood water, <laughs> a lot of standing water, but a lot of the mosquitoes that, that breed in the flood waters aren't the ones typically that are spreading the disease. They're nuisances. They bite. Yeah. But they're but the ones that Molly referred to are the ones that are most often linked with uh, spreading and then, disease. I thought I saw something there where, like, you can have Western Nile not even know it. That's correct. It's like like symptoms are different for everybody. Yeah, they, they, you they, may not even show symptoms. That's correct. They they say with most people, eighty percent of people that are exposed to it won't won't show any signs of symptoms at all. Twenty up to twenty percent of folks, they may they may run like a low grade fever, right? Muscle aches, you know, very very similar to flu like symptoms. Usually comes on anywhere from three to fifteen days. Okay, the serious disease. The neurological disease, the ones that you hear about in the news sometimes. I think it was somebody I saw recently that was on a intubator. You know, I thought it was Channel Eleven News last night mm-hmm. that was bitten. You know, exposed to West Nile. Less than one percent of, of the population actually develops neurological signs. You know, the and men- so, encephalitis yeah. and meningitis type effects. Yes. Yeah, because at one time I was. You know, when, when you get old like me, you start worrying about every little thing. That's like, because I had gotten bitten. It's like, man, stupid. Well, I'm looking at the symptoms, muscle aches. I'm old. I got arthritis. I had muscle yeah, aches. Yeah, exactly. How do you yes. know the difference? But never had the fever or anything. I said, like, eh, oh well. What's the difference yeah. between being older having West Nile virus? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> West Nile virus and aren't. Yeah, it's like, very, it's very so like the foodborne, foodborne illnesses. Right. Almost all of them cause diarrhea. Upset stomach, mm-hmm. vomiting. So yeah, it's, and it's, nowadays it's a medicine they give you for that that also causes yeah, you get it. Exactly. 
All the side effects. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, so it's very, for mosquitoes, it's very important that people definitely look around their house, any stand of water, get rid of it, especially with all the rains we've had. Scrap tires. Scrap tires. It takes about, yeah. it takes a little less than a week for a mosquito to run its full life cycle. So we're, so we're always trying to tell you, know, we always kind of err on the side of caution by telling people, empty the flower pots, the bird baths, change the water like twice a week is a good Kind of a good goal. Well, even your push lawnmower. A lot of people don't even think about that because a lot of people keep their push lawnmower outside, but right around the engine. Yep. Yeah. Well. Water collects. Yeah. Mm. Tarps. Every everything. You know. So it's, it's amazing. Wow. And it's with the rabies. Again, thanks for clarifying the, the fox part on about me. But you know that uh, that mange is different. Um, Okay, you with rabies because I got you know like I said I like to call the things up. So if they're running at you more or less, they're rabbit. But you said there's also another type to where well there's a lot. There's a, like I said, you have to always realize there's a lot of diseases out there that affect wildlife. You know, uh, some of those I stop like, playing with these wild oh, animals. You got, you got, you got parvo, distempered, <laughs> But but generally, an animal, you know, most wildlife's going to keep a respectful distance. You know, you see a fox, a raccoon, it's, you know, getting a little too close for comfort. That's kind yeah. of a sign that you want to okay. keep, keep away. Because I know we just had um, animal control come to where I live. Not to my house, but my neighbor. And he said the night before he heard scratching at his downstairs door. <laughs> Looked at it, it was a possum. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay. So... Called and the next day it was still there, so he called animal control and I even talked to the guy from animal control. He said he said there's definitely something wrong. This this possum didn't run away or nothing. Just stayed at that door. Yeah, so you have to stay alert. So, but yeah, they, they I tell you, wildlife in general they're becoming very acclimated to humans. I mean, I, I guess as we approach like foxes, <laughs> raccoons, coyotes, you know, they're all they've all adapted very well to living with with people. So. We always tell people, you know, love your own, leave the other ones alone. It's a good, good rule to follow. Have you had, have you had heard of any cases around here about rabbit coyotes? Because I mean, I know we have coyotes in the area. There have been rabbit, not not we haven't had any in, in Harford County. Okay, but I have heard, you know, stories, reputable stories that they have moved through parts of you know the county. Okay. But like I said, they they've adapted very well. Whoever thought, the rise, who so. never thought that we'd see a black bear walking around Harford County? Yeah. You know, but they all they all expand and establish their own territory, so it's all part of the game. Uh, does anybody have anything to add? Anything I forgot? I definitely want to get you guys on again. I could sit there and talk all day with you, John, about the water. I mean, I I, mean, I didn't realize a couple of things there. I was I would just like to close saying that um, yes, environmental health handles a lot of different. Um, <laughs> things I like to say we we handle what goes in you and what comes out of you and how it interferes <laughs> interacts with the environment um, but you know if you ever have questions don't assume anything we're we're one of the things that we do is education and we provide information so we're we're a pretty um, happy bunch and you know you can come into our office any time during the week that we're open, Monday through Friday, and we can help provide information. We're a phone call away. You can access us through email, on our website, and, and we do provide a lot of good information to the public. 
And you guys will, if if somebody calls, like a Lions Club or whatever, and asks somebody to come out and talk, do a presentation, you guys do that as well? Yes, we've done okay. presentations, I know, for um, some of the school systems for uh, uh, regarding food safety. We So we do food safety presentations. We also have given presentations on healthy homes regarding wells and septic systems. We've, we've conducted Lyme, Lyme disease, Lyme disease uh, for realtors. We can provide information. Um, yes, so we are available um, to give info. If you have a small group that would like to hear okay. um, some information, we can provide that. That'd be another, actually another podcast I would love to do for you guys. One, online disease. Uh, I guess probably spring would be good, mm-hmm. right? And, and food safety. Yes. Food safety is big, especially you get people like me that like to sit out there and grill all the time. And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't look at it. Uh, you know, different things. And as far as, like, the local farmers and all that. Right. It's a lot of time, temperature, and, you know, ref, you know. Oh, yeah. Making sure you you have an approved source. We'll set that up for another one. Oh, you look, Molly's I'm already ready to right down, right? I love that. Well, I want to thank you guys again. And um, definitely, if anybody listening, if you want them to, you know, do a presentation for you, call them. If you have any questions about anything whether you've been bit whether you know you need to get your septic checked out definitely call the uh, health department what's the number again our main number is 410-877-2300 and that will send you directly to our front um, desk and they will transfer you to whichever department you need need. because we have a lot of departments right (laughs) Which, and again, that's something all, every podcast I've done with you, I learn something new every time. Mm-hmm. See that? Yeah. Whoever oh. says education doesn't stop. Right. A lot of departments, <laughs> but few individuals. So, yeah, like, that's what surprises so me. My, too. my side of the building is 10 people, Eric's side of the building is 13. So, all these things we were talking about, and you're like, oh, you must have five people. You know, in many cases, it's one person, and that's not the only thing they do. Right, like Johnson, we didn't even we didn't even touch on the, the the regulatory programs we have in place for the inspection of pools mm-hmm. and camps and food service facilities and the plan review that's done. So that's just you guys wear several different hats. Yeah. Yes, that's amazing. I, I we're never bored. Well, that's good, and it makes the day go by quicker because you're so busy, right? Yes. There you go. Mm-hmm. And 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 you're all you know. I'm 25. I look a hundred times older than all of you so (laughs) (laughs) thanks again guys appreciate it uh falls here leaves are changing colors which also means they're falling all over the ground and that's the part everybody hates is getting out there just cleaning up all those leaves well call green machine lawns Green Machine Lawns will go ahead and take care of the leaf removal for you. And if you still need your grass cut, they'll take care of that as well. So give them a holler. Tell them Rich from Harford County Living sent you. Just call them right now at 443-863-YARD. That's 443-863-YARD.